Pastor Josh, thank you uh, for the opportunity to bring the word this morning. Feels like it's been a while. I'd like to pause for a moment and with a lot of gratitude in my heart, also thank uh, Pastor Isaac who uh, really gave me the first opportunity to preach a long time ago. Um, uh, forever indebted to uh, my friend, uh, my mentor, my pastor. I love you. Uh, moments like this make me think about um, how grateful I am. Uh, so uh, I know all of us have people in our lives that we would be better if we took a moment to be grateful for and what they've poured into our life. And uh, thank you for giving me that opportunity right now. Continuing in the armor of God. Do you have any idea who I am? The man, <clears throat> a passenger, angry, with flushed cheeks, pounding the counter, shouting at the airline agent. Everyone in the departure lounge, they could hear it and they got on the edge of their seats. Even a few of them took out their phones, ready for a worthy YouTube recording. This will not do, he harangued. Do you know who I am? Get your boss down here. I'm going to have your job. I'm going to have their job. Do you have any idea who you're dealing with? The young woman behind the counter, she didn't flinch. She didn't shout back. Remarkable, really. She was indeed a non-anxious presence. Instead, she got on the public address system and said, ladies and gentlemen in the departure lounge, I need your help. There's a man at the counter who apparently doesn't know who he is. Different setting. A large lecture hall. A hundred students finishing up a professor proctored exam. He looks up from the desk over his eyeglasses and says to the focused students, one minute, one minute, please. One young man looks at him, closes his finished exam, pulls out a scratcher card, and begins to scratch away. The professor, time, thank you. Please put down your pens and bring your papers to the front. Students pass by the hopeful card scratcher 
to deposit their tests. The professor peers at the still-seated student who appears to be adding answers to his exam. And the time has expired. The student looks up from his scratcher, and surprised the room is empty, jumps up to hand in his test. The professor says, oh, I'm sorry, too late. I warned of the elapsed time. You failed. The student looks intensely at the professor and says, excuse me, do you know who I am? Professor apathetically looks at him and says, I have absolutely no idea. Good, the student replies and quickly splits the pile in half, sneaks his test in and walks on by. <laughs> Professor knows he has been had. A question a situation of identity, one of anonymity, one over grandiose sense of who one is. I'd like us to think a little bit about the armor of God that we've been focused on for this last month and how our identity fits into this time that we focused on it. Let's take the shield, for example. The closest thing that I could think of that we have had recently about shield is the things that you're all wearing on your face. They've become significant for us. Particular experience that I thought about is the fact that I work in a setting in which I have two new individuals that show up every beginning of the year in the fall. We call them residents. They come into the hospital and they spend an entire year with us learning what it's like to do the work that we do. This particular year, the two residents that showed up, showed up in the midst of a pandemic. So when I met them, I only saw their eyes. And it's been almost, what? We're in March. So it's been quite a few months since I've spent time with them. And I paused the other day and I went, you know, there is a big chunk about who they are that I don't even know. Feels like I'm missing something because all the time I've spent with them, the only thing I've known is their mask-covered faces. Now, obviously, there's a lot more to them, but there's something that's missed, the identity about who they are. It's a little bit missing for me. And I'd like us to think about that for a little bit. Oscar Wilde said that man is least himself when he talks in his own person. Give him a mask and he will tell you the truth. Something about identity in there. What masks do we wear? What do we hide behind? What shields do we have around us? Let's think about that as we consider the armor of God. And we'll read it one more time out of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God, 
that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, the, all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation, the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherein, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Armor of God as identity. Well, you might say, ah, what you put on doesn't matter. Clothes don't matter. Come on. We all know that what we wear matters. Bill Cunningham said, fashion is the armor to survive the reality of everyday life. Bette Midler said, I firmly believe that with the right footwear, one can rule the world. <laughs> I don't design clothes. I design dreams, Ralph Lauren said. Clones, clothes mean nothing until someone lives in them, Mark Jacobs said. Giorgio Armani Elegance is not standing out, but being remembered. Vera Wang, I want people to see the dress, but focus on the woman. How will we rule our world? What is our everyday life that requires armor? Who am I as a man? Who are you to be focused on in that armor? How will we be remembered? Armor is only as good as the person underneath it. Ever since Adam stood in the garden, buck naked, it was built into the being, the possibility of becoming. The Ephesian church knew this. God himself appeared in history. Jesus combats the devil with an armament of God's authoritative word as found in the mature reflection upon its exodus experience, wherein it learned about God's fidelity to promise, sovereignty, and graciousness, and about what was required of a covenant of the elect people. That's what Jesus did. That's what the Ephesian church learned about through the Apostle Paul. Jesus exposed the deepest conflict in our life, which is sin, and then he takes it into himself, that sin, in the crucifixion. He entered the condemned, buried past of our history to draw all things together beneath the earth, on the earth, and above the earth. Then he emerges as a bearer of a radically new being, our new being, 
breaks in on this earth through him, Jesus, our Lord. Ephesians, the Ephesians once dead and now made alive. That's what the Apostle Paul told them. What is it to be alive? What did the Ephesian church understand to be alive? What do we know about to be alive? It means that we are creative people, that we are a participant in this creative world that God so beautifully put out in store for us as we see the silhouette of the San Gabriel Mountains behind us right now, knowing the handiwork of God pushed those together, carved out the beauty of the world that we see in the contours of this great planet, Earth, the asteroids, celestial beings that we get to appreciate in the evening, that which we sit amongst here, and the beauty in each and every one of us, both inside and out. The creative nature of God exists within each and every one of us. That potential is what is made alive when you go from dead to being alive. Accomplishment is something that we cannot worship, but is within each and every one of us that we are called to be as people alive in a world where we can make a difference. What will you accomplish in your life as someone alive in Jesus Christ? We have been given a power-laden love, a love that transforms all humanity, that came from the one who conquered death and brought love to us personally and individually. How will we live out that power-laden love that is in us when we are no longer dead and have become alive? How do we wear the armor? Why do we wear the armor? Paul says, we're in a war. That's what Paul says. Jesus is the one who conquered death. Jesus is the one who conquered sin. There is no battle space that he cannot access. He won our faith. This gives certainty to our existence. This helps us to take sure steps, although there is no road visible. This gives us the opportunity to hope when there is nothing to hope for, refusing to despair, although things are desperate. It gives us ground under us, although we step into what appears to be a bottomless abyss. This is our shield, our shield of faith. So what about this wily, sly, cunning, slick devil that we all have to stand up against? I spent some time looking into military strategy. I found this talk interesting. A guy named Thomas Barnett, an international security strategist, his, he specializes in post-Cold War solutions as a military strategist for our country. He talked about a system 
that we possess called anti-access aerial denial asymmetrical strategies. And all that means is a fancy way to describe something to Congress to be able to get them to pay for something that keeps us safe. It says that what we could do is go anywhere in the world and basically do whoop-ass on anybody. And the quite frankly truth is, is we are a country that has the ability to just do that. We can put that on anybody. His job is not so much to focus on that whooping part as much as how do we as a country sustain our security and safety after we go in and punch somebody in the nose? How do we survive? Our country, he says, has become lulled into a focus on how to start a conflict and how to do it well. We can feel the first half team and run the score up on anybody. But we play in a league that insists on keeping score until the end of the game. We get jacked up in the second half. That's what happens to us. Our most recent roars show that there is no one we can't take down. We have won so fast, we're not prepared for the collapse that happens after that. We can take anyone down, but what do we do with that power? What do we do with that responsibility of being able to take anybody down? What he says is that we as a country, we need staying power. We need the ability to go into a place where we've just put somebody down and put our foot on their neck and find a way to sustain that which is so important and essential, which is the safety and security of that place and our world. So he talks about the need to bring in a force to be able to sustain the peace. It's what needs to happen to the everything after the devastation and the destruction of that first tip of the spearhead strike. Enter our need for the armor of our ongoing battle with the wily ways of the devil. What is spiritual warfare? What is the goal of evil that Paul tells us we are in the midst of? It appears to me to be the ultimate end of all creation when it's taken all the way all evil presses towards the reversal of God's creative action. God created everything out of nothing, but evil seeks to return everything to nothing. I think this can be called the void. It's the ultimate aim of all proximate forms of nothingness, the implicit aim of all conflict, absence, loneliness, and death. Void is the ultimate end of all creation and as such, the goal of all evil. The void here is any absence that reflects the inherent brokenness in all of our lives. It already exists in us, this void 
this emptiness, this loneliness, this brokenness, this conflict, this ego that's uncontrolled. This is the evil that we're in a battle with, I propose to you. It's losing something. I'm losing my hair. That's evil. (laughs) Void is a part of being human. It has many faces. Absence, loss, shame, guilt, hatred, loneliness, the demonic. Evil. I'm not going to try to give you a complete definition of evil. I'm not qualified to do that. I've lived a little bit. I think I've been close to evil. I've heard people talk about evil. I remember Pastor Isaac's friend, Pastor Jack Hayford, a great man of God who pastored a, a, a beautiful church called Church on the Way up in the valley. I remember when he showed up to our seminary and he stood in front of a packed auditorium. This evangelical pastor who loves God stood in front of a bunch of academics and had to give a talk. And he ended up starting that talk with talking about walking into a new building that the church had just purchased, an empty warehouse And how he had been in there a couple times and felt a little uneasy. And that the third time when he went in there, he was by himself and it was dark. And he felt this great uneasiness. And he finally took the moment and stood there and said that he felt this sense of evil in the building. And he jumped up and down and pleaded the blood of Jesus right then and there and told that evil spirit to leave. It took courage for that man to stand there and tell that story in front of a bunch of academics. But I believe that there is that sense of evil. Just a few weeks ago, I had to sit down at the entrance of an emergency department at a local hospital here, fulfilling a role that I have as a volunteer police department chaplain called because there was a suicide in this family. And I met a 19-year-old young lady who was sitting in her chair with her hoodie on, her head buried in her lap. And as her dad went into the emergency department to go spend time with his son, her brother, who just attempted to kill himself because he got in an argument with his mom, who just finished killing herself. I sat there and I listened to this articulate, bright, beautiful young lady say things out of her heart that not any one of us in here, I hope, will ever have to feel. She shared how empty she felt. She shared how she wished she could be there. She shared how it was her mistake. She shared that she didn't know how she would be able to go on. She shared if there was a God, how could this happen? And I felt that I was sitting there 
the product of knowing that there is evil in this world that entered into that mother, that precious mother, at a most vulnerable time and took advantage of a life that took itself and caused so much pain that it almost ended up causing the son to do the same thing. And listening to a daughter who was on the verge of wanting to do the same her own self. Sometimes, death that exists in this world is evil. And it needs to change. And we have brought life into this world when we have accepted what Jesus has done on the cross and let it soak into our souls where we can notice the evil that still exists in the world, know that we have a fight against it and that we better well know the armor of God that God has given us to be able to take that on. But I go back to us because there is armor and we can put that armor on. But what does it matter if that armor is put over something that we don't take a look at, that we don't pay attention to? Those of us who are built here in ways that it's hard to take a look inside and know what makes us tick, where our motivations come from. Why do we do what we do? Why do we respond the way we respond? I tell you and me that it does take a good deal of effort to look at that. But the benefits of looking at that void in our life moves us if we believe that Jesus can transform every bit, part, and particle that we are. It moves us from the void to the holy. And the holy is a beautiful thing. The holy is the something that my dad taught me about that I will never forget. That brother was slain in the spirit and thrown three throws back from the place he sat when he gave his heart to God. He knew what holy was. You and I know what holy is. And if we know what the holy is, I tell you that you and I are capable of looking at the mess that's inside of us long enough to believe that we can be taken out of that void and moved into the holy that is more real than anything. Are you strong enough to do that? Yes, you are. Am I strong enough to do that? Yes, I am. I walked outside my house yesterday. I got a neighbor who's got some really nice cars, about four or five old Mustangs. They're beautiful. He's getting ready to put one of the car covers on his car. He goes, I just washed my car. You can't put a car cover over a car that's dirty. It'll jack it all up. Well, let me just say this, right? There is no shield here that we should put on just to cover us up and make us look pretty. Fact of the matter is, we're going to put a shield on. We better hold that shield up and make sure what's underneath it is as clean as possible. And knowing what Jesus has done in our life gives us the truth of that. Let's just focus on that truth real quick here for a moment. And I also had fun learning about this guy named Sun Tzu, who was a 5th century BC Chinese military strategist. He wrote a book called The Art of War. He took this book to compile all the strategies that exist to this day. This book, Art of War, is still used to this day at West Point in military strategy training. 
He knew something that you and I should know real well. And that is what we started with, that Jesus has conquered the war that we all know and need that allows us to be able to fight these battles with the evil forces and the devil that still nips at our heels. And this is what he said. He said, the skillful fighter puts himself into a position which makes defeat impossible and does not miss the moment for defeating the enemy. Thus, it is that in war, the victorious strategist only seeks battle after the victory has been won. If we're going to go into war against this devil, against evil forces, we ain't going there unless you've got life in you. If you're still dead, there should be no reason that you go into that war. But Sun Tzu said, it's the warrior who knows that the enemy has already been defeated. That's when you go into war. Otherwise, it's the one who is destined to defeat who first fights and afterwards looks for a victory. How many of us get into the fight first and think that we're going to win when we go on our own strength? A victorious army as opposed to a routed one, is as a pound's weight placed in the scale against a single grain. The onrush of a conquering force is like a bursty, the bursting of pent-up waters into a chasm a thousand feet deep. Images of who we are, victorious in Jesus Christ, a force that could take on evil that might, any evil that might come our way. We fight, we fight the void, these things in our life. I'd like to close it out with this image. There's this viral video that comes from the sports center. It's this great image of a sensei, a man, and he's got a bunch of boys in his class. And he's teaching them about martial arts, but he's teaching them about so much more. And in this one scene, he's on his knees. Pretty big, stout man. Young boy. You could tell he was scared. And this man had something in his hand. It was a baton, a stick. And he wanted to teach this young boy about how to respond to this weapon. And he would hold the weapon up, and this boy was so nervous and skittish that he wouldn't hold it up. He'd duck. And he'd go, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. And he'd hold it up again, and he'd duck really fast. And he said, look at me. You can still see this, right? Deal with your anxiety. Nothing has happened yet, son. If you respond to the what if, you'll get in trouble. You have to wait some time before you make that decision. Never let the appearance of a threat threaten you. It's not this, it's me. I'm the problem. Keep your eyes focused on the problem. That little boy, when he heard those words, Boy, he was ducking on a dime. 
that weapon would come his way and he'd wait just in the nick of time and duck right when he needed to duck. He'd pop back up and get, and boom, back down. And so I close it with this. What's your problem? What's my problem? Well, if you're hearing these words and you're still in that dead category, you're not in the living category, well, you, I hope you know what your problem is. It's not the weapon in the hand. It's that you're living dead. That Jesus has come to give you life. And when you face that problem, and when you take that life on, that eternity, that love, that ability to be creative, to let that love come out of you, boy, then you've dealt with the biggest problem in your life. God bless you. What about the rest of us? What's the problem we fight? Is the problem in here? Is the problem in here and that's what we need to look at? Is it the void in our own lives that we think we put our Christian armor on that we haven't really taken the time to think about and that we react and we fight out of thinking that we've got this armament and we need to take on this war instead of thinking about the fact that God has given us truth and faith and peace and love and that when we think we need to react that we might need to deal with the problem inside ourselves and wait and take a look at that void that exists inside of us that absence that loneliness that rage and maybe let Jesus heal that a little bit more so we fight the evils around us in the best possible way that we do so that we don't walk around with armor and bump into people and cut them up and bruise them up, but actually walk up next to them and be able to fight the evils around us and love them and hug them in a way that makes who we really are as people alive, genuine, interesting, appealing, that we make a difference in other people out of that life, out of that life-giving love that Jesus has given us. If we can focus on that problem, I think this church is growing. I think this church is fighting the evils and the devil in his wily ways. I'm going to put on my armor. I'm going to put on my armor as best as I can. And I'm going to keep taking care of this problem, trusting that Jesus has already made me victorious, already beat the battle, already made it such where I don't have to get in the way of doing the hard stuff and the hard work and then I'll take it on. And I know there's going to be people who see me when I'm victorious and they ain't going to like it and it's going to bring them down. But I also know that there's going to be people who see the victory in me when it's lived out the right way. It's going to become attractive. They're going to want to become a part of it. They're going to feel better about themselves. And if we can live that way, I think we're living the right way, dressed up the right way, and we got a place to go. Praise the Lord.